to kind of another one-off sermon for this week, and we'll get into a new series next week, and we're going to talk about singing today, and um, just this idea of, of it's, it's a little bit strange in some ways, right, that we come here every Sunday, and a big part of what we do is sing together. Like, you don't really do that many other places or many other times in life. Um, maybe, like, if you're at the football or you're, or you're um, probably, it's probably the main place, um, or you're having a party, you might sing some songs. But in, but in general, we probably don't really, or if you're at a concert, um, but just sort of in general day-to-day life, there's not really big groups of people that come together and sing, at least it's not in Australia. Um, but we come together as a community, and a big part of what we do together is sing. And, and the guys have been leading us, and it's been awesome this morning to do that. Um, and I don't know what you think about that. May, may, I think different people think different things when they come to church about singing. They might think that's the, the thing that I love about coming to church. Like I love singing to God and, and worshipping Him through song and through music and, and I just love that part. And then it kind of gets to now when the guy talks up the front, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that part. Like, <laughs> let's just get that part done and let's get back to the songs. Like, or maybe you might be the opposite and you kind of come to church and you're like, oh, okay, well, songs again. I'll just sort of wait till we're done, almost done. Finally, we can sit down and now, now we can hear some of the scripture and we can hear some teaching. And, and different people probably have different sort of like um, desires in that way, kind of probably a lot of it's even just personality, could be related to spiritual gifting or value. Um, if you're more creative and musical, you probably like songs more. But sometimes maybe if you're a bit more like thinking and study, you might like scripture more. Like, and, and all those sort of things are good. But I suppose today what I want to do is we're going to look at the Bible and actually look at the, how the Bible actually says that singing is really important. And actually these two things are not in conflict, but they actually go together. That actually the, the Scripture calls us to sing to God, and as, as we sing to God and realize who He is, we learn more about Him through Scripture as well. And what I want to do is just spend a little bit of time and think, well, what, why do we do this? Like, why do we sing? Why do we, why do, we do this every week? Um, and have a look at the importance of it, I guess, from Scripture um, based, based mostly in Psalm 98. But we see this all through the Bible. Um, the people of God um, through the Old Testament and the New Testament are people who sing. Um, in, in Colossians, in the New Testament, Paul's writing, and he says, oh, can you just click back on the um, PowerPoint? Just lost it there. He talks about singing to the God psalms, psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And this is in Colossians, this is in Ephesians. There's other stories in the New Testament about like um, Paul and, and Silas are in prison and it's night time and, and they choose to sing. Um, and God does powerful things through that. And there's this even sort of link between God's spirit in us and, and it leading to song and it leading to praise. And we see this all through. But what I want to do today is just sit sort of in Psalm 98. And there's a few Psalms around that section that are really about singing and a call to sing to God and to praise God. And that's all through the Psalms, particularly at the end of the book of Psalms, that the last five Psalms are all these great songs of praise, just calling everything to praise God for who He is. Um, but that's not to say that there's, there's not Psalms that are not praise songs as well. This is, this is not at all saying like everything's good all the time, we just sing all the time. Like, like there's Psalms that are about lament. And they're about expressing our grief and our anguish and our frustration to God. And that's, that's good too. But today we're going to sort of look at this psalm that's a psalm of praise, of singing to God. Um, so if you have it in your, in your Bible, you can follow along or I'll have it up on the screen. We're going to break it down to three and, and have a look at this call to sing. So I'm going to pray 
And then, um, then we'll start to have a look at that. So, Father, we just thank you um, that you're our God, that you've revealed yourself to us through Jesus and, and through your word, um, by your spirit. Um, and thank you that you're so good and you, and you call us to be people who sing. Um, would you give us more insight into that today, God? Would you just inspire songs and joy in our midst because of who you are? And I just pray though, that you just take these words and speak to our hearts um, and just, yeah, do what you want to do in our midst today, we pray. Amen. Cool. So let's, John just read this out, but let's read just the first section again. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. And this is often through Psalms as well, the idea of a new song. It's not, not do we just sing old songs, we sing new songs. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. We'll see as we go through this, this idea of salvation is kind of linked with victory. Like God has worked powerfully. He's had the victory. He's, he's worked salvation. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What we'll see as we go through, there's, there's three calls to worship. And the first call to worship, see, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. This is about Israel. It's about God's people praising and singing to him for his salvation. So this first call is a call for the people of God to sing to their God who saves, to remember that God, this God is the true God. And he's not just a faraway abstract theory. He, he's a person and he's a person who's involved in history and who acts in history to save and rescue his people. And in, in the, the story of the Old Testament and the people of Israel, probably the main story where this is demonstrated is the Exodus, when God's people, the Israelites, end up under this oppressive regime of the Egyptians. And they're, being, they're slaves and they're being worked to death. They're being oppressed by this evil empire. And they pray and they cry out to God and God hears them and he sends Moses and he, and he calls Pharaoh to let the people go out into the wilderness to praise him. And, and God asks again and again and Pharaoh gets tighter on the restrictions on the Israelites and oppresses them more. It's this evil empire that God's people have found themselves in. And God works. He brings judgment on Egypt and eventually Pharaoh says, you can go free. And, and the people leave Egypt. And you, know, you probably know the story. As they're leaving... Pharaoh realizes he's made a mistake and changes his mind and he decides he's going to start chasing them. He's going to get them back. And he sends his whole army after the Israelites and they get to this point where they're stuck and they've got nowhere to go. And it seems like the enemy has won, that they don't know where God is or what he's doing. And it seems like all hope is lost, but then God opens the Red Sea. He, he acts in history. Even one of the, the Psalms talks about him like breathing the breath of his nostrils and it blows the water back. Like this is how powerful he is. And they walk through. And as they get through the other side, as Pharaoh's armies come through, God lets the rivers go back over top and destroys them. And we kind of think, whoa, that seems pretty intense. But, but this, is, this, is, this is the idea that God has victory over this empire that was evil, that was oppressive. And they're coming against God and his people, and he works powerfully to save them. And at the end of that, in, in Exodus 15, just after this happens, the people sing. The song of Moses is in Exodus 15. And it's this song of victory, of praise, that God, God saves. God delivers his people from evil, and he delivers his people from the enemy and from oppression. And, and, and this is then throughout the Old Testament in, in lots of ways. 
And that may bring up questions to you like, well, how, how does that work with sort of God like um, judging empires and things like that? And we don't have time to get into that. But it's a great, great question to sort of ask and, and work through. But for us, right, we, we're not in that position. Like we, we're not uh, fighting enemies. We, we, we may have enemies, but Jesus does not call us to take up a sword and to fight. But we, Jesus, when Jesus comes even, the people are waiting for this king, this Messiah who's going to come and he's going to defeat the Romans and he's going to work salvation. But then Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus doesn't fight. Jesus is bound and goes to the cross. And we see when Jesus comes, he's coming to save, but not from the human enemies, but from the true enemies, which is the spiritual powers behind the human enemies, behind these oppressive empires, there's spiritual powers. And Jesus comes to save us from those. And in the cross, he has worked victory. He's worked salvation. He's, he's defeated evil. And he's made a way for us to come to God. We, we celebrate that as we just had communion then. And you might even be able to think in your own life, the way that God has acted, maybe when he's revealed himself to you, that he saves. We realize who he is, that Jesus is the Savior, he's the Lord. Maybe you've even got stories of of being in difficult situations or or circumstances and, and God has saved. Maybe he's healed. Maybe he's rescued. Maybe he's delivered. And we think that he is a God who saves and because of that, we, we sing to him, we praise him, we remember his acts. So that's the first sort of section. As we see, as we go through Psalm 98, it gets bigger and bigger. It's going to expand. So the first is a call, the people of God, sing to their God who saves. Keeps going. It says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. So it expands to all people now, all over the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music, not just singing, but instruments. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blasts of ram's horns. So all sorts of instruments, loud instruments even, like ram's horns. Like we don't have ram's horns, but I suppose it's biblical to have ram's horns. Like, like, and and or trumpets or, or, or loud instruments. Like like at the end of Psalm one fifty talks about like loud crashing cymbals and and. We obviously have to be sensitive to people's hearing and the issues of being loud as well. But this is the idea that God is worthy of like loud, musical, excellent praise. But why? This time is shout to joy before the Lord, the King. The first is that He saves. The second is a call for all people everywhere to sing to the God who is King. That He reigns over the earth. He's the true Lord of the earth, and that he's worthy of worship and praise and song. It's interesting, like, talking about Australia Day and Australians, like, we don't have kings really, right? Like, like there's, there's royalty, but we, we kind of don't, they're not like we hold them up really high. It's like, there's sort of like a fascination with royalty, but, but it's kind of like, no, we're just like everybody else. Like, in Australia, everyone's on the same level. Like, if, if anyone kind of tries to be up too high, we pull them down. Like, like, the Prime Minister, if like, we probably honour the Prime Minister, but there's also people that don't honour the Prime Minister. And like, like this idea of like a king or someone who has like authority and, and weight and like their presence is, is so important and powerful. And if they're coming, there needs to be, things need to be prepared and things need to be ready. And there's like even a sense of awe and fear because they're so powerful and, and significant. Like we don't really have that often. Like, and I think there's good in, in what we have. Like we have this idea that like actually like, 
like, I guess we're kind of convicts, right? Like, like it's kind of like just down, down, down to earth. Like, let's all just be together. Like, let's just relax and hang out. Like, how are you going? Like, and, and there's truth in that with God even, that, that, that he comes to the earth as a human. Jesus comes to be with us and dwell with us. And God is present with us by his spirit. And, and he comes down to our level. But there's another reality that he is not like us at all. And he is way, way bigger than us. And he has authority and he has power. And he, he is the creator and he's the ruler and he's the king. And sometimes we can, we can lose that. But, but this is a call to realize who he is. And he's the good king. He's, he's the king that will die for his people, that will wash their feet. He's the one who's worthy to have authority and to be worshipped. But there's actually like a, a sense of awe around him. This is really reflected well. You might know this quote from C.S. Lewis in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This, this, this story that depicts Jesus as Aslan, the, the lion, and he's the king. And there's this interaction about, about what he's like that really um, d- describes this really well. You might know this. This is just a few um, words from it. Is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great empire, emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And this sort of like fearful standing before a lion is like Jesus is the king. And, and yes, he is good and he comes to save us, but he's, he's the king of all the earth. There's, there's, a, there's a splendor and an awe, like an awful, awful, awesome power around that. And, and, and it's a good thing. It's this call to praise him. And as, as this is reflected then even at the end of the Bible in, in the Revelation, and there's this picture, John's writing this, and, and it's this picture of the throne room of God, like where God reigns in heaven on his throne as the true king. And there's this description of it. I'll just read a little bit from Revelation 4. Day and night, they never stop. There's these creatures around the throne. They never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This idea that around God's throne, there's unceasing songs of praise and worship declaring who he is, that he is holy. That, that he is the Lord Almighty, and that's going on all the time. And, and this is a call to enter into that song that's already there at God's throne, as we remember who he is, that he's the king. As well, there's, there's people all around the world, probably at all times and all time zones in some ways, doing what we're doing. There's other people in the area doing what we're doing. They're, they're singing this morning. They're singing to this king. And what, what this is a call to do is to enter into that song, it's not that we, we work it up, but we recognize this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. This song is already going in heaven. This song is going around the earth, and we enter it, and we sing praise to the God who is king. This then 
So started with God's people, you sing to him because he saves. Expands, all the earth sings to God who is king. But then gets even bigger and expands even further and says this, let the sea resound and everything in it. Now this is like the entire creation. The world and all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. And obviously this is not literal. This is, this is poetic. It's called personification where you give like um, things in earth, human characteristics. It's like imagining the rivers clapping, imagining the mountains singing, all creation entering this song for God. Let them sing before the Lord. But why this time? They're singing for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's inequity. So this expands now to all creation, to, to the created um, nature that God has made, the seas, the fish, the animals, like the trees, the mountains, the rivers, sing in this song to God for he's coming to judge. And again, we might sort of think, oh, okay, that, that sounds confusing. Like often we kind of don't portray judgment as a good thing. But this idea of, of God coming to judge, another way it can be, and it's even translated this times this way sometimes in some verse, ver, versions, is he's coming to set the world right. When God comes to judge, he's coming to deal once and for all with evil. He's coming to, to, to heal the world and heal the creation completely. And that this is a thing to look forward to and rejoice in. Particularly the creation, it's this idea, it's reflected in Romans 8, as well, that, that God's created universe is, is in decay. It's kind of in bondage because of sin, because of evil. It's meant to be this beautiful place that flourishes and, and, and worships God, but it's in decay. And the creation itself is longing, is waiting for Jesus to come and to heal it once and for all, to set up his kingdom, to redeem the world once and for all. And I, I just want to give some more sort of insight into this. This is a good quote from N.T. Wright who describes this. Um, idea of coming judgment. He says, we need to remind ourselves that throughout the Bible, not least in the Psalms, God's coming judgment is a good thing, something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned over. It causes people to shout for joy and indeed the trees of the field to clap their hands. In a world of systematic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance and oppression, the thought that there might be coming a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and the weak are given their due, is the best news there can be. That, that again, like God did for Pharaoh, he, he, he defeats this evil empire. And there's evil empires and rulers in the world. And God won't let them go forever. He, he offers mercy and forgiveness and grace. But one day he will come and deal with evil. He says, Face with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. If, and people say that, right? They say, look at the world. Look at how terrible it is, messed up. How can God be good? How can God not do something about it? And, and the good news is that he will. And, and he, he has, he, he, he's not just a God that just comes in judgment. He's a massively God of mercy. But he is a God who will come and heal and will set things right. This again, and, and if this is sort of raising questions and sort of confusion, that's fine. I just encourage you to, to process that and to study and to work through it. I'm kind of working through some of this stuff at the moment. But one verse in, in the Old Testament that reflects some light on this, I don't have time to go into a heap of detail with it, but it's Exodus, in Exodus 34, where God reveals himself to Moses. 
And if we're tempted to see God as just a God of judgment, this, this verse shows that he's not. But if we're tempted to see God as just a nice sort of soft God, this verse says he's not. But it, it describes the, the difference. We see this. God declares who he is to Moses. He says, the Lord, the Lord. And the first thing is the compassionate and gracious God. That God's disposition, initial disposition towards all people is compassion, is, is grace. He's slow to anger. He's not a God that just lashes out when, when, when there's evil. He, he, he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. His love is abounding, maintaining love to thousands. And he's forgiving. He's forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And that's true for all of us. We're not here because we're great people who have done the right thing. We're here because we've done evil, but we've been forgiven by God because of the cross. And he offers his forgiveness to all. He wants all people to turn back to him. He wants them to have mercy and, and grace and forgiveness. But there's lots of people that don't want it. They don't think they need it. Or there's lots of people that just think, I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to follow God. And I'm not interested. And they're just interested in continuing to do evil on the earth. And the good news is that God offers forgiveness. But if they don't want it, he, he's not just going to let this keep going and going and going. It says, he, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God will deal with evil. And again, confusing verses. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents, the third and the fourth generation. Again, I don't have time to get into details of this, but this is not what it looks like. It's, this is not that the parent does sin and therefore God will punish the child. That, that's not the idea. The idea is more the consequences of sin go down the generations or, or often the sins of a father or a mother will follow the sins of the child and that there'll still be consequences there as well. And again, this is another sermon to sort of unpack. But one interesting point we see in this verse, and again, this is a good thing. If God is a good God, he must deal with evil. But the interesting thing is the, is the comparison, right? The first things about him is that he's compassionate and gracious and he maintains love to thousands. His love goes to thousands. The contrast is that he does not leave the guilty unpunished, but will punish the third and the fourth. And if you think of a scale, and on one side is God's mercy and the other side is God's judgment, on one side is to thousands, and the other side is to the third and the fourth, the scale is tipped in God's mercy. Like God's mercy is so great, and his mercy um, outweighs his judgment, but he is just, and he will come, and he will deal with evil. John Mark Comer describes it like this, because Yahweh is forgiving, we don't have to cower in fear and dread Jesus' return. We can take our wickedness, rebellion and sin straight to the cross and let it die on Jesus' shoulders. And that's the way God, we sung about it before, God satisfies his justice, but he justifies us. God is the God who, who needs to judge evil, but instead of just lashing out at people, he takes it on himself. He says, I'll bear it. I'll carry it. And like Gretel said, it d describes his heart of love that he would die for us. So this is, the door is wide open for forgiveness and grace. And because Yahweh is also just, we can look forward to a day when his son Jesus will judge the world, banish evil forever, and lead humanity to a glorious horizon. One day God will heal the entire creation. One day God will deal with the evil that's there. And, and the heart is for mercy and, and grace, but one day he will judge and that, that it's actually good, that creation actually looks for that day. 
So this psalm has expanded to, to a call for all creation to sing and to rejoice that he's coming. And again, he's, he's the only one who has the right to judge. His judgment will be just and it will be full of mercy and it will be full of goodness. So what we've seen is, is, is this, this, this call to sing starts small and gets bigger and bigger. And we're called to enter into this song and to sing, not because of us, but because of him, particularly because of Jesus. The, the song we sing is because of who Jesus is, that he's the true king, because of what he's done, that he's worked salvation and, and victory. He's gone to the cross. And because of what he will do, he's coming back and he will heal, and there's, there's hope, and there's new life forever. And it's because of him that we sing. It's not that our lives are perfect. It's not that we've fixed all our stuff. It's not that our circumstances are amazing. It's, it's because of him. We enter this song because of him. And the interesting thing is that as we do that, as we become people who sing, even when life is hard, or sing even when it doesn't seem to make sense, because it's about who he is, we actually not only remind ourselves of the story we're in, but we actually give witness to other people of, of the story we're living in. Um, Leslie Newbigin puts it this way. I love this quote. He says, A community of people that in the midst of all the pain and sorrow and wickedness of the world is continually praising God is the first obvious result of living by another story than the one our world lives by. That actually being a community who sings, who praises God continually, no matter what, actually makes people look and say, actually, well, things are not going well in the world, but these people seem happy and they're praising God. And actually, they're not living based on what's on the news or they're not living based on what their circumstances are. They're living based on this other story, which is the true story, which is the true reality. And again, this, this shows it's not just about singing. Like singing is the first sign. And it's about living in this story, about dwelling in this story, about following this God, not just about singing, but that singing is powerful and has a, has a witness to others. And even as we sing, we remind ourselves of the story, we remind ourselves of who Jesus is, what he's done and what he's going to do. And we realize that he's worthy of it. He's, he's good. So we enter into that. So as we, we're going to sing to finish today, and, and I guess we're going to sing next week and we're going to sing the week after. And, and I just encourage you as an encouragement to start the year that, that this time that we sing together is powerful and purposeful and important and, and to engage with it and to be, be like a team of, of or like it's people who have like their favourite football team when they've won, like they sing in victory and praise like that's, that's the call for us to be a people who sing and praise. And even, even so much or even as loud that other people would hear or people would walk past and be like, whoa, why are these people singing? Like, why are they so happy? Like, what, what, what's going on? And it's a witness to this other story. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then, then we're going to sing to finish. And again, as, as we do this, this is not like a, oh, we have to be good at singing or this is not like a, oh, I'm not, I'm not very good, like, so let's not bother. Like this is a call for everybody to enter in to the song of praise to, to this God. So let's, let's stand together and let's pray. And let's, we've got a great song to sing to finish off um, that Wes is going to lead us in. So Father, we just thank you that you are our God and that, that you are compassionate and gracious, that you are good and you are forgiving and you are just. And one day you're going to heal this world 
forever. And we just thank you, Jesus, for who you are, that you are King and Lord, and you're alive and you're worthy, and you're being praised right now in heaven, and you're being praised all around the earth right now in other churches. This song is going, and it's been going for all eternity, and it will keep going, and we get to enter it now and sing together. So God, would you even just fill us with your Spirit, uh, fill us with joy in your presence, and have your way in our midst today, we pray in your name. Amen.